that sad? <laughs> that means it's the end of the summer. I told you we were going to extend it one more week, and we're in September now, but we've got to end up our, our summer sermon series today. Uh, how many had a great summer? Yeah? Everyone had a good back to school, all that fun stuff. Anybody try anything new this summer? Any like new events, new activities? Who likes to try new things? Anyone? Let me see your hand. You're like, I'm up for trying whatever it is I'm up for. Yeah. All right. Anybody, like, you recently, you did something because someone else wanted you to do it. Maybe you had a kid or a family member, and they're like, yeah, like, let's do this together. You're like, I wouldn't normally do this, but because you want to do it, I'll do it with you, right? Anyone, you're at the point of life where you're like, well, I'm feeling a little older than I used to be, and uh, now I do things just to prove to myself that I could still do it. Anyone? You know what I'm talking about? You're going to try new things. You know, that's the secret to staying young and alive, right? you got to keep doing new things. Well, this summer, I tried something a, a little new to myself. I went mountain biking this summer on the Three Blind Mice Trail up Campbell Mountain. Anyone ever been up Three Blind Mice, Campbell Mountain, right? So I've been biking a long time, obviously. I, you know, came out of the womb riding a bike, you know. Back in the days where you sent your kids out and said, don't come home till the streetlights come on, you'd be riding your bike all day. I've been riding a bike for a long time, but I've never really been mountain biking. And so my son is really into mountain biking. My son has a great bike. He, he's been working hard. He's saved up a lot of money. And I, I mean, like a lot of money <laughs> for a good mountain bike. And so his bike, it's got like a full suspension. It's got really beefy, knobby tires, you know, to have tread on the trail. It's got disc brakes. It's got a dropper post. I've never even heard of a dropper post. Do you know what a dropper post is? It's like a little button that you activate and it makes your seat go down. Because what I've discovered is that when your seat is high and you're on the mountain bikes, it's not good uh, in every scenario. So it just drops out of the way. It's got all the bells and whistles. Well, I'm old school, all right? And so I, he's telling me about all the things he needs on his bike and I'm kind of, you know, like indignant, you know, right? Like, you don't need all that stuff. I've been, I'm 43 years old. I've never had all those bells and whistles on my bike, right? Right? Like, I'm old school because my skill and my athleticism, I don't need all those bells and whistles. And so, you know, I just ride. I just ride, baby. You know, suspension, like, come on. You know, that's what your knees are for, suspension, right? <laughs> and, and so I have a dad bike, all right? My bike is from Costco. It's a nice bike, but it's a Costco bike, right? He's got all, like, the disc brakes and all that kind of, He, like, tunes his bike and washes his bike, and he takes it to the shop to get tuned up. I got a dad bike. I got it from Costco for Father's Day a few years ago, and it has, like, the little caliper brakes on the front, you know, these pinchy, pinchy brakes on the front. And so we go up to the Three Blind Mice together, and it's a lot of fun. I've never really been trail riding before. My wife drives us all the way up there, and if you don't know, it's like you go up the Camel Mountain, and then you keep going and then you keep going, and then you keep going, and finally you get to a little parking lot that says three blind mice, and that's where they let you out. And it's fun at the start because you're just kind of riding through the forest, down the trail. There's little creeks, and the birds are chirping. It's amazing. And then it starts to get a little rockier and a little bumpier. And it was just a lot of fun being out there with my boy doing something new. But then all of a sudden, the trail started getting a little steeper. 
it got a little steeper and a lot rougher and a lot rockier. How many know that there's mountain bike trails that are graded sort of like ski trails? There's greens and blues and blacks and double blacks. And I don't know what we ended up on, but let me just say my non-suspension bike started to feel like this. All the way down this hill. But, you know, I was having fun being with my boy out there. But then all of a sudden I started to realize that as much as I was trying to apply the brakes to my bike, the more I squeezed my handles, the faster I was going. All right? So at some point, I'm having fun. How many of you heard that moment with like the fun, you're having fun, and then the next instant, you're not having fun? Right? I'm having fun, and then I realize that I'm not having fun because I'm squeezing the brake handles as hard as I can, and I'm not slowing down. In fact, I am speeding up, going down this hill. I went from having the time of my life to trying to like, keep my life alive. By like, I'm halfway down the hill. I can see the bottom, and I'm thinking to myself, if I could just stay on this bike without falling off, I might get out of this alive, right? Like, I didn't want to tell my wife, but like, I was actually fearful in that moment, just kind of like, ah, you know, like, it was, it was a crazy, crazy moment. I was doing everything I could to stay in control. How many of you ever felt like you were out of control before? You ever had one of those moments where you were just like, help, I'm out of control. Like, picture me on the bike with your feet out like this, just kind of like, ah. Like, that's how out of control I felt. You know, sometimes in life, there's moments where we feel out of control. It can be in our personal lives. You know, some of us have dealt with habits and addictions where we just have felt like, man, I am out of control. I can't help myself. I can't curb my appetite. Sometimes we've, uh, in our finances and our stability, that we've felt out of control. Maybe there's parts of our spiritual lives where we just would say, God, help. I'm out of control. You know, well, so I said we're wrapping up our summer series today, and we've been camped out in Galatians 5, unpacking this section of Scripture that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And what we've been talking about, the fruit of the Spirit, is that it's actually uh, not nine different fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit is the overall byproduct. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read it together this morning, uh, if we can. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Is it up there? Thanks, Danny. Let's read it together. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we've been talking about through the series is that there's always an outward expression of the inward working of God in our lives. We've been talking about this idea that fruitfulness speaks to character. So fruitfulness is the growing or the developing of God's righteousness and godliness in our lives. Now what we've also been saying is that it's not about trying harder to live godly. How many know that if you are a fruit tree, you can't just will fruit into existence? I can't just will the Spirit of God to produce something in my life. I'm going to produce whatever I'm attached to. We see that imagery that Jesus says, you are the branches and I am the vine. We produce whatever fruit we are connected to. So by being connected to God through his Holy Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ produced by the Spirit of Christ in the believers and followers of Christ. 
Now, here's the thing, though. How many of you ever planted a garden? Any gardeners, right? You got some fruit uh, growing in your garden. You got some vegetables in your garden. How many know that for every fruit plant that you plant, every vegetable plant, there are like a kajillion weeds that are trying to choke out whatever plant that you have? And it's the same in our spiritual lives when we're trying to develop the fruit of the Spirit in us that uh, there's a kajillion things that are trying to, to work against what God wants to do in us. See, fruitfulness doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's always a tension at play. There's, there's always this, this tension. There's always present in this background, this other workings. Galatians 5.17, as we've read uh, throughout this summer, also says that the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. How many can relate to that this morning? How many can relate to that feeling of like, I have good intentions for my life that I just never seem to be able to put into place? Or I start out strong, but I'm not finishing the way I want to. There's always this tension in our lives. But here's the thing. I've got good news for you. If you've ever struggled that way, you're in good company. You're in good company because we all have that tension. If you're struggling, you're like, I just can't seem to get it to work. It's not that you're not doing it right. You're not doing it wrong. Even though other people around you make it look easier, it's normal to deal with this tension in our life. Since the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that our nature was corrupted. We have a sin nature at work in us. We have tendencies that are always trying to pull us away from what God intends and purposes for our lives. Elsewhere, Paul, the author of this passage, uh, he writes about the struggles, uh, and he talks about his, his life. He says, it seems so hard to do the things I want to do, right? He says, it's so easy to do the things that I know I shouldn't. In Romans seven nineteen, I want to do what's good, but I don't, and I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Kids, when you're standing in front of your parents, here's a great verse for you just to say to them, right? I want to do the right thing. I just... Just quote scripture to your parents. I'm sure it'll get you out of trouble. <laughs> Oftentimes, here's the thing. Our response to this struggle or to this tension is to pray. God, would you help me? God, would you take this struggle away from me? Would you change me? Would you transform me? Would you relieve me of these desires? Would you make me different? And here's the thing, we need to pray that way. We should be praying that way. But here's the thing, our expectation sometimes is that God is going to zap us and change us. Now, I've known people who have been released from addiction. They've had God transform them. Sometimes it's a miraculous moment where God shows up and God does something significant in someone's life. My own father-in-law would say, one night he prayed, the next morning he never felt the desire for alcohol again in his life. Set free instantly, miraculously in the moment. God can do that. God does do that. But God doesn't always do that. Because this is what I've discovered, that God won't do for you what he expects you to do. God won't do for you what he expects you to do. See, God's deliverance sometimes comes in a miraculous moment, but it more often comes, his deliverance often comes in daily discipline. We need to exercise some self-control. How many are glad you came to church on the day we're talking about self-control? Right? 
How many are glad to talk about self-control? Well, here's what Solomon, he is the, the wisest man to ever live. This is what he wrote in the Proverbs on the subject of self-control. Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. How many know that you can't conquer anything on the outside until you've conquered what's on the inside? You can't rule on the outside unless you're ruling what's in your heart. If you can conquer what's in your heart, then you're able to conduct, you can conduct yourself and rule uh, on the outside. Anything you lead on the outside is going to crumble if you don't first lead yourself. How many have seen that in our leaders, right? When you see moral failure, when you see failings, when you see hypocrisy, it's because they're trying to rule outwardly without having ruled inwardly first. Solomon goes on to say this in Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now in this time and age, uh, you know, every city was a walled city. Every city had walls to keep them uh, from being exposed and vulnerable to attack. Every city uh, had walls to uh, help them to, be, uh, to avoid being controlled and held hostage uh, by outside forces. Right? The walls were intended to keep what's valued and treasured safe within. Right? Better, uh, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Self-control is like a high wall. Self-control is like the wall that protects you. It, it keeps things from coming into your life that want to overpower you and want to rule you. Self-control is like that wall that, that where, where you guard what's valuable to you, right? Uh, it, it guards the treasures of your life. Self-control helps you resist temptation. It, it avoids conforming. It, it guides your decision-making process. Self-control keeps you free to be who you want to be and not be slave to addiction and to outside forces. Self-control keeps us under control and away from destruction. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9 this morning? And uh, the Apostle Paul, he expounds a little bit more on the subject. Uh, any NFL fans in the house? Yeah, a few of you, as you know, that's my, that's my jam. This is kickoff weekend, so NFL is starting. The Apostle Paul, I believe, is a sports nut. As you read through scriptures, you'll see time and time again that Paul uses athletics and sports as an illustration. And so we see that here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners will run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Say it, in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. Say aimlessly. aimlessly. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, he says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
Now, scholars agree that what Paul's talking about here in his disqualification, he's not talking about losing my salvation, that I'm going to be disqualified from entering the kingdom of heaven. But what he's talking about here, uh, we know that salvation is the free gift of God, right? Not of works that we should boast. And so he's not talking about that, but what he's talking about is this reward. He says, I'm not running aimlessly, but I'm running purposefully towards the goals of I want to reflect more accurately the character of God in my life. I want to see God's purposes and plans fulfilled in my life. I don't want there to be anything that hinders me from receiving the benefit of seeing all of God's plans and purposes for my life come to pass. He's saying, I want to be a model to others of this transformation power of Jesus Christ. I don't want anyone to stumble because of hypocrisy in my life. So that's the reward of living this life. I don't want to have anything come in the way. How many know that your choices become your actions? Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your character. And your character is who you are, right? Self-control is about the choices we make about more accurately reflecting the character of God in our lives and uh, fulfilling the calling that God's put on our lives to do. So Paul's metaphor of athletes in training, uh, it, it's amazing. It, it, it's like, describes the spiritual element uh, so fittingly too because the self-discipline that it takes to, to, uh, to make gains in the gym is so closely overlapping what it takes to grow in godliness. And uh, so the parallels are so similar that you're going to get a two-for-one message today. All right? You're going to get church, and you're going to get Pastor Jared's gym training coach. Like, come on, you can do it, right? We're going to leave this morning all pumped up for godliness and to go to the gym uh, this afternoon. We're going to all run the Ironman together next week. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Unless you want to. Here's the thing. Self-control begins with defined goals. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. Have you ever felt that you were running aimlessly? He says, I don't run, I don't train, I don't live my life aimlessly. I'm not just living day to day. I have goals and purposes and plans for my life. To stay committed to your cause, you got to know your why, and you got to know your when. Why am I doing what I'm doing? you got to know that. Because when you're under self-control, self-discipline, you got to know why am I doing what I'm doing. And you also have to know, how will I know when I get there? Right? Anyone traveled with kids? They're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You have to know what the win is for your life so that you know when you've arrived. Otherwise, you're just running aimlessly. Knowing your why energizes your efforts. Right? If you've ever been in athlete, uh, athletics, you know that when you are going and you feel depleted, when you feel tired, when you feel like you just can't go on, your why motivates you to keep moving even when you don't feel like it. Your why informs your decisions and helps you make hard choices. Right? It's true in the gym and it's true in the church. Your why helps you overcome your why nots. It's important to know your why. You know, there's definitely going to be moments in your pursuit of godliness where you ask, why am I doing this again? Right? Why am I doing this? Why am I taking this faith step again? Why am I out on this limb? God, I really hope it was you that I heard because right now I'm not too sure. Right? We have to know why we take these faith steps. 
why we're doing that. How many know that distractions and discouragements try to dissuade you, and they will? Your why helps you hold on to self-discipline, and your win keeps you from averting your focus, right? Defining the win lets you know when you've reached your goals. How many know that we often have desires and good intentions, and we start out, right? If anyone's ever been on a weight loss plan, maybe you thought, I'm going to try to, you know, maybe lose 20 pounds, and you get to 15, and you're like, man, I feel good. I look good. I deserve something, you know? I I deserve a splurge, a cheat day, right? Right? Because if you haven't defined your win, you're going to be tempted in the minute to compromise. Same spiritually, right? we want to ease up on our discipline. If your goal is not clearly defined, you're going to be tempted to settle for lesser wins. In the church, we see people say, well, I'm a good person, right? I don't cause any trouble. You know, I, I make it to church when I can. You know, I'm better than a lot of people that I know, right? Uh, I, she's lucky that's all I said to her, right? These are like the compromising wins that we have, right? <laughs> when we're like, I, I'm doing okay, right? Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I clearly define my why and my win for this life. In Philippians 3.10, he says it. He packages it for us. He says, I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul said, my goal, my why, and my win is that I want to know the presence of God in my life, and I want nothing to stop the power of God from being released in my life and through my life. This is Paul's why and his win. I want all that God has for me. So here's your homework this week. I'm actually going to send you home a homework. Your homework is to take some time and think about what is the why for my Christian life, And what are some of the wins that I'm running towards? What do I want to see in my spiritual life? Self-control begins with defined goals. And it has to be defined because self-control also requires denial. Right? How many wish we were talking about self-care this morning instead of self-control? Right? We'd rather talk about how to pamper ourselves and how to look after. Self-control is self-care. Right? Self-control is what puts you in the place emotionally and stability and just all those things. It puts you in the place where you're actually caring for yourself. Self-control is self-care. But Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Here's the hardest thing about self-discipline. Self-discipline means saying yes to one thing, means saying no to another thing. That's the hardest part about it, right? You might say yes to weight loss, but that means you have to say no to Oreos in bed at night, right? Or Doritos or whatever your thing is, right? You, you might be saying yes to financial health, but that means saying no to not having a budget and sticking to it, right? You might be saying yes to reading your Bible, but that means saying no a little bit more to scrolling social media aimlessly, right? Saying yes to something always means saying no to something else. That's what makes self-discipline so hard physically and spiritually because it's often choosing between what's in front of you now and what you want most, right? It's choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Paul says that again in Philippians 3 in another athletic metaphor. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, Paul is saying, I'm saying no to what's in front of me right now and what I want now because I'm looking towards one thing, the thing that I want most. I want to know Christ. I want to know his power in my life. I don't want anything to short circuit or come in between that and me. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, what I want now is usually what's comfortable. It's what's quick, right? It's what costs the least. It's cheaper. What I want now is usually what's easier, right? But what I want the most is the thing that often challenges me but makes me better in the end. It helps me grow. What I want most is what reflects the character of Jesus in me. What I want most is to see Jesus' plans and purposes fulfilled in my life. A yes to one thing means a no to something else. What have you had to say no to recently in the pursuit of your spiritual growth and development? That's your second homework question. What have I said no to recently so that I could grow in Christ, that I could grow closer to Jesus and see his power at work in my life? It's important question. You didn't know you were going to get all these homeworks today. You know? Did I say no to speaking what was really on my mind in the middle of that argument? Did, did I say no to that questionable ethical decision at work? You know, did I say no to media or movies or music that I just thought, you know what, this is not what I need to allow into my mind and into my spirit? Did I say no to friends who were influencing me rather than being influenced by me, right? Saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. Self-control be, uh, begins with these defined goals. It requires denial. And self-control is daily. Self-control is daily. There's a saying for those that like to hit the gym, and it says, no days off. No days off, that's a popular model for athletes in training. No days off. Every day is a day that requires discipline towards the goal that I am running towards. Daily commitment to self-control. Here's the thing about it, though. It's not always immediately evident, right? How many know it's not always immediately evident? Just because you started the weight loss program doesn't mean you dropped 20 pounds in the first week, right? It's not always immediately evident. Sometimes the discipline of looking after our finances, our discipline of keeping our character in control, it's not always immediately evident, but the growth and the development and the reputation that we develop, that it begins to speak well of us, and it begins to become evident, and it can inspire others to pursue God for themselves. Now, when I was in high school, I kind of had a couple phases during high school. I always loved Jesus. I always wanted to be bold for Jesus. But there was a time, you know, as every kid comes where you're like, you know what, it's, it's kind of weird to stand out for Jesus at high school. And, and I didn't really want to be weird. In high, I, I, to be honest with you, I just didn't want to be weird. And, uh, and so we used to have a Christian club, and we would meet every Wednesday at lunchtime. And uh, for a couple years, my strategy to get to Christian club uh, was that I would just kind of walk down the hall like this, kind of nonchalant, and I would get to where the door of the, the club was, and I would whoop, 
I would just kind of like disappear, right? I'm not even joking. I'm being honest with you this morning. Like grade nine, grade 10, I'd be like, I could just walk in the hall. Psh, where'd he go? Like vanished. Like poof, just disappeared, right? I didn't want people to see me going to Christian club or asking. By grade 11, I was leading the Christian club. And so that was like a little different now, right? Now I'm trying to get people to come and like try and get them not to be embarrassed. about. It was amazing transformation in my life. But here's something that happened. I graduated from high school. About seven or eight years uh, later, I was pastoring and moved far from the town that I was pastoring in. And I was at a large Christian uh, worship event at, at a big stadium, and we were there. And I had some youth group kids with me, and I was in the washroom right before the event. And uh, there was a guy from my high school. His name is Murray. I haven't seen Murray for seven or eight years, and he's in the washroom, uh, you know, this chance meeting at this big stadium. And I said, hey, Murray, like, I haven't seen you in seven or eight years. Like, how are you? And I was thinking, it's kind of weird to see you at this Christian worship event. Like, I didn't know that you were a Christian when we were in high school. And he looked at me and he said, I wasn't. I wasn't a Christian in high school. But then he told me something that like, blew me away because I had no idea. He said, but I was watching you. And I saw your life, and I saw what you had, and I wanted it. When I got to university, I met some Christians who reminded me of you, and I got to know Jesus. And now I'm here tonight with some youth from my church where I pastor. I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? Now, I've never seen Murray since that day. I hope he's doing well. It blew me away that someone would say, I was watching you when I had no idea. But the daily discipline of serving God, even though I'm not perfect, even though there were times when I just like whoop, disappeared into the Christian club, there are other times, daily discipline over the long haul, people could see that in my life. I want to encourage you this morning that there are people watching you, your neighbors, your family and friends, the daily discipline that you think might not be showing or producing fruit as evidence to them. Now here's the thing about self-control. We've been talking about self-control, self-discipline, and there's an irony to self-control that I want to talk about this morning as we uh, come to a conclusion in just a moment. Self-control is actually an oxymoron. Paul talks about this in this uh, verse that we read today. He says, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Scripture is telling us that self-control is an illusion or a myth of what's actually happening. As Paul said already, and we read it uh, in verse 17, Galatians 5, 17, he says that there's two natures who want to do evil. They're always in opposition to each other. One is the sin nature that is embedded in us since the fall of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And the other one is the spirit nature, the spirit of God, who wants to free us from the power of our sin nature and wants to produce in us the fruit of God. These are two forces constantly fighting each other for who will dominate your life. Now here's the illusion of self-control. We use the word self-control but we're never actually in control of ourselves. Studies show actually that there is a limit, even for the people who have the highest willpower, that when they make a decision, when they make a choice, that we all will run out of willpower at some point. We will all reach our wits end. We will all reach a place of fatigue, uh, of desire, uh, denial, uh, where we will give in to the temptation at some point. But here's the thing, self-control is not really about being in control of yourself. It's about the Spirit giving us the opportunity to choose who will be in control of us. 
Self-control isn't controlling myself. Self-control is really about choosing whose control I'm going to be under. The Bible says that while we were in sin, we don't have that choice, that we are under the control of our sin nature. But it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus who comes in his freedom. He doesn't just free us from sin, but he frees us from the control of sin. And I used to think as a Christian, that means that you automatically flipped from the sin nature to the spirit nature controlling us. But that's not the case. We actually come to this neutral place where we now get to choose under whose control we will live. The Bible says that when we, uh, whose, whose control will we feed? Will we be under sin control or spirit control? We get to choose who will control us. Will it be the sin nature or will it be the Spirit of God? This morning, we're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments. And, and I just want you to be thinking through, God, which spirit am I allowing to control me? Is it my sinful nature? Is it the Spirit of God? And the decisions that I've been making, which, which way have I been leaning? I've been feeling that they are my choices, my, my decisions, but really I'm choosing which influence I'm allowing to lead my life. You know, as we approach communion, I was thinking about this idea about self-discipline, both physically and spiritually. You know when people most start to think about self-discipline? Even in the practical sense? It's after they've had a scare, isn't it? Right? People don't think about diet and exercise until they've had a health scare. Right? People don't think about financial health and freedom until they've lived under the oppression of debt load and, 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 and all of that stuff. Right? When they've been sick or hurt or broken. Right? I don't think about maintenance on my bike or what kind of bike I even need until I'm squeezing the handlebars with all I've got, just trying to stay on it and just trying to stay alive. And then I'm thinking, you know what? I might need to upgrade my equipment. Right? This morning you might be here and I want to encourage you the best time to implement self-discipline. The best time to allow the Spirit of God to rule your life isn't after you're hurt and broken, or after you're addicted, after you are oppressed, but the best time is before. Is before, make that change before you're hurt or broken or face destruction. Today is the day that we have the opportunity to choose to let the Spirit of God lead our lives. Before we've reached the point of setback, before we've reached the point of hurt or brokenness. Today, maybe you're here and you're hearing this message and this message isn't a message about try harder to implement self-discipline in your life. Bible says that's not how it works. Bible says like Paul, we say, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know his power in my life. I want to lean into Jesus. I wanna be in his presence. I wanna be filling my heart and mind with his word. I wanna be responsive to his spirit. This is the thing. The Bible talks about the spirit of God like a coach. The spirit of God doesn't come and possess you. doesn't come and control you and make you do the things God wants you to do. It's not like a puppet master. The spirit of God is our coach. He's our guide. He's the voice inside of us. And if we would just say, I'm going to do whatever I hear the spirit of God telling me to do. I'm going to do what I see written in God's word. I'm going to do and respond to the voice of God in my spirit. And if I just follow the promptings of God, I'm going to produce the spirit and character of God in my life.
That's what it comes down to, of us willingly partnering with Jesus and saying, God, I'm going to follow your Spirit's leading. Let the Spirit control you, and you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, that you would just come and fill this place with courage and boldness. God, this isn't a message of condemnation. This is a message that we can do this. We can do this together. That it's much easier set, uh, coming in line with you than we make it out to be. Help us to take that first step today, Jesus, of saying, Lord, I give you my life. If you haven't done that already, you simply say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of leading myself. Forgive me of ignoring your spirit's promptings in my life. Help me to live my life for you. Help me to live in freedom from addiction and the control of my sinful nature. Free me today, Lord, to do what you want me to do.